everyone that's able to be out today with us. And we hope that you have been encouraged by our time thus far together and that you will continue to be encouraged and edified in that which is right with God. This little congregation just wants to be a Bible-believing and Bible-obeying congregation filled with love in the type of way that God would have us, that we do what God would have us do, recognizing that we need to cast all of our cares upon the Lord, look into His Word as it is the way that God instructs us and talks to us today, have an active prayer life, which is our way of communicating to God, and work out our salvation in fear and trembling. I said that on purpose, work out our salvation in fear and trembling, uh, means that we have to make an effort, but it's not without the help of God and the grace of God. Uh, it is a biblical phrase to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, but let's look to Titus, the second chapter, and speak a moment about grace and Ephesians, the second chapter, because without the unmerited favor, we don't deserve it. Without God's grace, we could not be saved. We would have to be sinless and live an entire life of perfection like Jesus did on the face of the earth in order to merit salvation. And once we mess up and commit one sin, then we are lost and without hope, but not without help. And then, if we get the help, we'll not be without hope. Because our hope and our help is in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In Titus 2 and verse 11, we find that grace is not just the unmerited favor that God bestows upon us, like showers of blessings, which is part of evidence of the grace of God. But the grace of God actually brings forth the Word, God's Word, that teaches us certain things. This is found in this section of Scripture. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. This is in part a five-part lesson, but we're not going to preach this lesson today. Two of the main headings are negative things that we're to put out of our life that the grace of God teaches us. And three of the general categories that follow in our reading here are positive things that we are to add, like the virtues that we would, that Peter talks about. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Now everyone in this room, myself at the top of the list, is imperfect. We make mistakes. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There had to be a sacrifice similar to that which was the old covenant with the Jews that had sacrifices and people were to go and to follow God's prescribed methods of having sacrifices and the tribe of Levi and the way in which sacrifices would be offered. But really we find that the Hebrew writer teaches us that the blood of bulls and goats really was not sufficient. It was something that God required at that time, and the people did not earn in any way uh, doing what God said do, but they were complying. And then when Jesus died on the cross, he sinned. He, he did never sin. He died for the sins of the entire world all the way back to and including Adam 
and all the way forward to our time today and until he comes again. Consider Ephesians, the second chapter, and what is mentioned concerning faith and what is mentioned concerning grace. This is one of the most often misunderstood passages, I believe, by those who claim to be Bible believers today. Paul is writing, but by the inspiration of God, and he says in verse 1, and you, speaking to the saints in Ephesus, those that were Christians, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. We are dead spiritually if we're still in sin. If we're not uh, washed clean, well, how are we going to get washed clean? Well, we're going to need the precious blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross for the sins of the world, aren't we? He says to these Ephesians, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as others but God. That's a great expression. Paul said he made mistakes, others make mistakes. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3 and verse 23. And the wages or the payment for sin is spiritual death unless we do something about it with God's help. But God, verse 4 of Ephesians 2, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Now, the word only is not in that verse. By grace only. Nor is faith only. In John 3.16, that whosoever believeth only will not perish. So we have to read what God's word says about grace and its part in our salvation. And we'll just be able to scratch the surface, I believe, today. And we'll read what God's Word says a little bit about works. And then we'll transition in talking about conditions that are not meritorious works, but rather simply things that God asked people to do in times past to get the result that they wanted, and God would allow them to have that result if they would meet mere conditions because what God put on Noah in building the ark and the Israelites in walking around the city of Jericho and the walls falling flat and Naaman being cleansed of his leprosy in 2 Kings 5 had condition and other illustrations that we could look at as time permits had conditions that needed to be met, but they in no way, if you threw them up on the scale of life, you'd say, oh yeah, 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 if you walk around a city that's fortressed like Jericho with the big walls and everything constructed, and you march around once a day for six days, and, and then you walk around the prescribed times, and you've got to blow the trumpets, and then you shout at the right time, those walls will fall flat every time. And that's what uh, General Schwarzkopf from the United States of America and other known leaders into battle, that's the plan they use. No. That is God prescribing a mere condition. And if the Israelites on that occasion met the condition and they did, the walls would fall flat. 
In Joshua 6, the Bible says the Lord told them, I've given you the city. Well, they hadn't gone in yet. The walls hadn't fallen flat yet. But God knew the choices that they would make. They made the right choices to follow the prescription. And so we need to look at our salvation with regard to a clean slate of our mind, accept God's word, and know what parts are God's part and what part are men and women's part in the conditions. And sometimes they're called works. But when you investigate what God asked mankind to do, it in no way could ever be said to merit eternal salvation, much less the forgiveness of our sins, when it took Jesus Christ's death on the cross and the shedding of his blood to get the remission of sins. There is nothing that I or you can do that can equal that. And so we can be reconciled with God when we do what God said do in a faith that is pleasing to God is a faith that obeys. Notice if we get down to verse 5, speaking of us being alive together, Paul is part of that us and that he became a Christian even though he persecuted the church of God beforehand. And the Ephesians obeyed the gospel to whom he's writing. So he's writing to an audience of those who are Christians. Even when we were dead, verse 5, in trespasses, it's Ephesians 2, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Again, he doesn't say faith only here, but he mentions that faith, and that's the faith on our part, not something that God has faith about. We are to have faith. And it's involved as part of the conditions of our salvation, and Paul includes it here in the inspired writing to remind them. But he goes right behind it, saying that it's not meritorious. And that not of yourselves. You can't do the heavy lift. I can't do the heavy lift. We, God's already done the heavy lift. But there are conditions that we must meet in order to be made right with God. Not of works. Wait a minute, Mark. You just said we're supposed to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And now we've got a passage here on salvation that says it's not of works. Well, what does it say right behind that? Lest anyone should boast. If someone thinks that they can brag about being saved because they did something that was worthy of that. Take away your sins and get to go to heaven for eternity and be in Christ where the spiritual blessings are. They've got another thing coming. But there are some conditions of interest, interest, entrance, like we came through the door, entrance into the kingdom or family of God. And yes, we have interest in the family of God too. Verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. So we want to realize that there are times when the English language will say that our salvation is not of works, but then we who are Christians are his workmanship. Well, the very idea of workmanship has some kind of works being done, but they can't be meritorious or boastful works because we just learned in the verse before that it's not of the kind of works that would cause anyone to be able to boast. 
created in Christ Jesus for good works. There are things we have to do after we become a Christian that take effort on our part, and God will tell us what they are. But they are not meritorious. But they are necessary conditions in order to be called faithful in the family of God. And that's important. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our Christian walk, our Christian life, the spiritual race as it's compared to, the spiritual warfare where we're soldiers. What soldier goes down, gets with the recruiter, joins one of the armed forces in this country, and then gets a uniform sized and shows up and sits down at basic training and does nothing. No exercise, no drills, no learning, no education. And that is a fit soldier for America. No. There's discipline, there's a regimen, there are things that are expected in the training and in the execution of that office or job. And so it is for men and women in the family of God, we are to go through our training and admonition of the Lord and even bring up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6, with godly homes and godly parents. And this is the guidebook that tells us how to do it. God's perfect instruction for mankind today. There are those who would disagree with what has just been said, and they will turn to other verses in the Bible. Be careful about the word only being ascribed in verses where they are not found. Let us go to James 2 because we, we're talking about works, and here's another passage of Scripture that talks about faith, and it talks about works, and a lot of people even put in their religious church manuals that man is saved by faith alone, through faith alone, and not by any type of works. When they say any type of works, then we have to pause as to why the Bible does use works on occasion in conjunction with salvation, and then other times say it's not of works lest any man should boast. Luther, Martin Luther of old, so much didn't like what was stated in James that he didn't want it to be in the canon. That is, we have a New Testament that's 27 books, Matthew through Revelation, and Luther was saying, I don't like what's taught in James. And it was this part in chapter 2 concerning not the faith part, but the works that are mentioned. But if you or I just substitute the word conditions in our mind, it's a synonym with the type of works that God wants us to be involved in as we are His workmanship, as we read in Ephesians 2. We'll skip down to verse 14 of James 2. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Does faith save him? Now we're getting to a little bit of a topic that would be a topic of disagreement. Here's some works over here. James raises the question, and we got faith over here. And what if you just have the faith part and you don't have the works part? That's germane to what we're talking about. I'll try to just read it through and then make comment later. If a brother or sister is naked or destitute of daily food and one says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? 
Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that there's one God, you do well, the devils, or that even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? Let's just take Abraham. And God told him, before he ever had the son Isaac, that he was going to have a son. And he and Sarah couldn't have children. They were well up in years. And so, here comes Ishmael by the handmaid. Thirteen years older than Isaac's coming. God says, I'm not talking about another woman. I'm talking about Sarah. I'm talking about you, Abraham. You're going to have a son. Okay? And through your seed, all families of the earth are going to be blessed. Give you a land promise, give you a nation promise in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. But also, I'm going to give you a people promise that through your lineage, not of Ishmael, through your lineage of this Isaac, Jesus is going to come. He doesn't name Jesus there in the prophecy in Genesis 1 through 3, but he says, Through thy seed, all families of the nation of the earth shall be blessed. And it means uh, Jesus. If you turn to Galatians 3, um, we have something there. Around verse 16, I believe, with regard to talking about this. Now God tells, after Isaac is born, okay, we have the child, this is wonderful. Get up and, and offer your son Isaac. He's going to now go out and offer or kill his son Isaac at the word of the Lord when the Lord was saying that it's through his seed, this child Isaac, that all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. How are we going to make sense of that? Well, not in Genesis, per se. We're going to go to the chapter called the chapter of faith, Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and see how this ties the faith of Abraham and the works that James is mentioning. And yes, James is inspired, the book of James. And it needs to be in the canon, and it is in the canon. Luther notwithstanding. All right? And maybe we can see because once we study more about Luther's belief uh, system and the creed, the creed that he would hold to, it wouldn't allow or it would make it contradictory with the Bible if James were in the Bible. But in Hebrews 11, we have a bunch of heroes of faith, if you will, and then we find that they all <coughs> did something. There was a condition, or there was a work that was not meritorious, but it put them in God's favor because it was what God was asking for of them. Verse 8, beginning with Abraham, and then Cyrus mentioned in this text, Hebrews 11. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. He was told he was going to have a land promise. And then later says, God says, get out from this country. Go. 
and he went by faith. Well, the went part, the going part, is the action, the work or condition on his part. Because if he didn't go, he wasn't going to get the land. And God had promised him the land, but he wasn't going to have to work for it like to merit it. And when he worked, did something for the Lord for 15 years, then he merited uh, the deed being given to him. No, God was giving it to him. But the condition was he had to go. Well, what else? By faith, verse 9, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky and the multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith. Now let's look down to verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, the New King James says, offered up Isaac. Now wait a minute. He didn't really kill Isaac and have the completion well, what's going on? Let's read the rest of the verse first. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding, here's the part we didn't get in Genesis, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. That much faith on the part of Abraham that, okay, you've given me this son. His name's Isaac. Uh, it wasn't Ishmael. I messed up on that. And yes, Sarah and I are old, but you're God, so we can have this child. And they do. And now you're telling me to... If you read just Genesis, it would cause the normal mind to typically say, how's all this going to fit? How's it going to work? But with God, all things are possible. And God had the plan. But a glimpse into the great faith of Abraham, which is a great example for you and for I as far as how big is Mark's faith and how big is your faith, is he said, well, God can do that. God can raise, raise him up. And so his hand was stayed when he drew back the knife and was about to kill his son. And God, now I know. Now I know, Abraham. And what a great faith it is. When we have conditions in order for our salvation, we can't take the faith passages and elevate them to the exclusion of repentance, for example. Jesus said, Nay, I tell you, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Well, how do we have these faith passages and it's got to be faith or repentance? Who says it can't be both? <laughs> There's no only over here for faith only. Okay, except in the not by faith only over in James, that we're not saved by faith only. And there's no repentance only in the repentance passages. So if we find passages that say we are to believe, and we find passages in order to become a Christian, we, we say that we're, we are to repent because we find passages like Luke 13.3, we can have both. It's not an either or, it can be a both scenario. And when we look to the book of Romans and we find out that in chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, we've got belief, but we find this word confess. 
And it's not confessing your sins in order to become a Christian. God knows that we would not be able to remember, some of us, all of the sins that we had committed in order to become a Christian. It's confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, like the eunuch did in the conversion of the eunuch found in Acts 8. But in Romans 10, verses 8 through 10, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess, there's an if in there now, so it's conditional. It's a work, but it's not a work of merit. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, yeah, you've got to believe in the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There were people in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. And, and come on Wednesday night and enjoy that good Bible study. We're finishing up chapter 15, Lord willing, this coming Wednesday. There were people that had a problem and did not believe in the resurrection. And there are many arguments as to why they should believe, given in 1 Corinthians 15. For with the heart, Romans 10, 10, one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth, Confession is made unto salvation. Okay, so we've got repent, and we've got believe, and we've got confess. And, and then that's how we become a Christian, right? Well, we haven't read all the passages in the New Testament about conversions. We've not found the word only yet. And so to be fair, we want to look at when people in the, in the book of Acts became Christians. Not what did they do meritoriously. But what did they do that were conditions that God said do like believe and confess that Jesus is the Christ and that he was raised from the dead in order to believe, confess, and repent, as we've said so far. Well, let's look back to Acts 2 Pentecost. The first time the gospel was preached after the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, the apostles had been sent to Jerusalem after Jesus ascended back to the Father and were waiting by prophecy for the baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit so they could preach and teach without ever studying because they didn't have uh, New Testaments that were being printed. And as soon as they got them back from the printer, then uh, Peter and the rest of the apostles would go out and, and be able to hand them out. The printing press wasn't around until the 1500s or so in uh, the world. But they were able to speak as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance and they could preach and teach these truths of God as part of God's way to bring about the spread of the gospel. And in Acts, the second chapter, Peter got up with the rest of the apostles that were there that day and there were Jews from every nation because Pentecost was that kind of an occasion where people would come from other known parts of the world at that time and observe Pentecost. So it was a great opportunity to have a, an audience, and then when that audience disbanded, they would be going back to their homes, and those that had become Christians could spread the good news and help teach and make uh, it available to others to become children of God, New Testament Christians. So Paul starts with the prophet Joel, and he begins to tell things that Jews would know from the Old Testament Scriptures. That prophecy was being fulfilled at least the beginnings of it, the part that applied to the Jews, that very day. He says, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, verse 16 of Acts 2. 
And then he gets down and they heard of and could not deny a historical figure, Jesus of Nazareth, who recently had been crucified. The question was whether or not he was really the Son of God. So these Jews on this occasion are listening to this sermon with interest. They believe in the Old Testament Scriptures. They believe the prophets that say a Messiah is coming. Others had come before and had said they were Messiahs and were found not to be. And they put Jesus of Nazareth in that category except for what is taught in this sermon and those apostles that knew better that were around Jesus after they were with him. Men of Israel, verse 22 of Acts 2. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified. You've either consented or you stood there or you said, yeah, that guy, he's not a Messiah. He needed to be killed. You, you are guilty and have the blood of Jesus' death on your hands and head. Whom God raised up, Peter says in verse 24, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And then he quotes something from David that they would be familiar with in the Old Testament Scriptures. And he goes on to say, that this same Jesus whom you have crucified is the Son of God. Verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Christ meaning Messiah. Oh, now you've got a divided audience. Those that believe and realize they're guilty of sin and those that still don't believe it yet for whatever reason or reasons. Maybe they need more teaching. Maybe they need digestion time. Maybe they'll never believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. But the ones that were convicted of their sins, now when they heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And these are believers now because they wouldn't say those kind of words if they didn't believe. Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and all your children, to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So now we've got water baptism for those who are responding to the gospel because it's not the baptismal measure that's needed to go out and preach. The baptismal measure did not save people of their sins. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, meaning to the Lord's church, the saved, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Is it meritorious, worthy of heaven and all your past sins to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Does that equal what it took the death of Jesus on the cross and the shedding of blood? Or is that just merely a condition that God says, now if you want to come and be in my family, if you'd like to have the remission of your sins, there's just a few conditions that you need to do to prove to me that you're genuine and sincere and you want to be in the family. 
And you've got to believe that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Are you willing to confess with the mouth, as we read before in Romans 10, 9, and 10? Are you willing to repent of your sins as being asked here? And Jesus was already planting that seed when he was talking about repentance in Luke 13, 3, when he began to preach the gospel of the kingdom, even though people weren't being added to the body of Christ. During Jesus' time as living as a Jew perfectly under the old law, he began to help to transition their minds to some of the things that would be required. And then he said to his apostles, I can't tell you everything. You can't, you can't stand to bear it now. So John chapters 14, 15, and 16, he says, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, the baptismal measure, and he'll guide you into all truth, and he'll teach you the things that I've been teaching you, and he'll teach you the rest that you couldn't bear. And now we have that compacted into our 27 books of the New Testament. And it takes about 14 hours for an average reader to be able to read through it. And it's the Word of God in the New Covenant. And we care so much, and it's so beneficial to read the Old Covenant from Genesis to Malachi, those 39 books. And together that makes all Scripture that's inspired of God and is profitable that we can be complete and that we can know what God wants us to do here on earth. But it's not meritorious. And it's by the grace of God that He's done what He's done for us. But He says, do you want some of this? And Do you want everlasting life? Would you like to be a Christian? Would you like to be a disciple of Christ? Then you're going to need to enter the body of Christ by putting on Christ. And very much like the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Romans 6 talks about how that we can contact that blood. There's the figure of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that is emulated in a person coming to Christ that is a believer, repents of their sins, confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Paul said, what shall we say then? We'll close with this, so be getting your songbooks, please. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us, just that many now, as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him. So baptism is not sprinkling or pouring water, but rather we need to find either a baptistry or a whirlpool or an ocean or a river, some type of place, a swimming pool, that has enough water in it to completely submerge one. And the person goes down into the water, a believer that has confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing in that resurrection from the dead, confessing that and having repented of all sins, and is now, notice, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The person's not left under the water. They need to breathe. And the actual meaning of immersion and baptism includes the emergence, not just the submersion, but the emergence, bringing it back up out of the water. So Jews ceremoniously dipped or plunged or baptized certain objects to make them kosher, as we would say the word now, 
cups, different types of vessels, sometimes even tables, entire tables, were totally immersed under the Jewish rite of ceremony, not in Christianity. And so if we do these things, we're a New Testament Christian, all of our past sins have been removed, and we have not done one thing meritoriously to earn it. It's still by the grace of God that we're saved. It's by the grace of God that the blood of Christ is applied to our sins and we rise to walk in newness of life. If you haven't done that today and you'd like to talk more about it or you're ready from the hearing of this lesson or you have any questions, we'd be more than happy to study with you. And for those of us who have done this, let us rejoice that we know it is grace and it is faith and it's the type of works that are just mere conditions. It's not anything that we could do to have a type of work that we could earn our salvation. So that's a misunderstanding or a false charge, whatever the case may be. If you're subject to the gospel call in any way, or as a Christian, you need the prayers of the saints or we can help you, we bid you to come while together we stand and sing the song.